Let us bow our heads for the prayer for illumination. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. The Old Testament reading today is taken from Psalm 24. It is in your Pew Bible, page 555. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament lesson is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 7. Hear God's word. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the, earnest of, with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. May God bless to us the hearing and the understanding of God's holy word. 
One of the things that's impressed me about IPC is your generosity. In the six months that I've been with you, I've not once heard anyone say that the church is short of money. Financial matters have taken up very little time at council meetings. Now, I'm sure that that might not be the case later in the year when they're putting together a budget, but there hasn't been any need to cajole or exhort you to give more to meet a budget. The only discussion that, about giving that I've heard is the weekly invitations by the elders to give generously during the offering. So I haven't really had the opportunity to talk with you about one of the topics I like to preach about best, which is giving. And since I only have one more week with you, I'm going to seize that opportunity. And I'm not going to talk with you about how much the church needs you to give. It does, and you do that well. What I want to talk with you about is your need, our need to give. That's what Paul's talking about in the passage that we just read from his letter to the Corinthians. We don't usually think of Paul as a fundraiser, But when he was commissioned by the apostles to spread the gospel, they charged him to take up an offering for the poor in the church of Jerusalem. That's what Paul did. And like so many people who ask for money for the church, he ran into some resistance. The first objection Paul met was, we can't afford it. We're stretched to the limit already. His response was simple. If the Macedonians can do it, you can do it. The church in Macedonia was faced with uh, persecution. When Paul was there, he was um, welcomed by the people in in Thessalonica, which is the capital of the region of Macedonia. Sometimes they would have to hide in order to worship. And Paul had to flee from Thessalonica because he was threatened to be captured uh, and his life was in danger because of the gospel that he was preaching. And yet the Macedonians were eager to collect, to give to the collection that Paul was making for the church in Jerusalem. That very same faith that upheld them through persecution is what gave them the confidence and the joy to give so freely. So Paul said to the Corinthians, if the Macedonians can do it, certainly you can. Some years ago, I had the privilege of attending the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church of South Sudan. It was in a town called Okobo. Now, it wasn't like the General Assembly of my denomination in the United States. We didn't meet in a large air-conditioned convention center. We met under a sprawling mango tree by a river. This town is accessible only by uh, propeller-driven airplanes. There were no roads. As we sat under the mango tree, whenever we heard a plane coming in from the distance, everybody would look up to see whether it was a United Nations plane carrying relief supplies 
or a government bomber. The homes in Okobo were all grass huts called tukels. The only electricity was generated by a small generator in the compound where the German missionary nurses lived. The only source of water was from the nearby river where people went to bathe. Our meeting opened with Sunday worship. Before the service, the Canadian missionary who was serving as my host slipped me a bar of soap and said, this is for the offering. He noticed the puzzled look on my face and explained, they don't have any need for money here, so put this in instead. When it came time for the offering, large platters were passed around, and worshipers put in sacks of grain, bandages, T-shirts, and bars of soap. After the service, those offerings were distributed to people in need. Those Christians were truly giving from what they had, not from what they lacked. It's our giving that unites us with other Christians. It's a sign of our unity in Christ. Paul was so adamant that the Corinthians give generously because the church depended on it. Not for their financial survival, but because in their giving, they received blessings from their brothers and sisters far away who gave. One of the keys to the vitality of a congregation is how much it gives to Christ's mission beyond its walls. And I think that's one of the keys to the vitality here at IPC. It's your commitment to give at least 10% of your budget to missions, like the Meisters and others. Now, we can talk about how united we are in the spirit as believers in Christ, but when we give to the mission of the church, we're actually doing something that demonstrates our unity. We invest ourselves in what Christ is doing out in the world, and our giving leads us to deeper involvement that transforms us by putting us closer in touch with what Christ is doing among the nations. But exhortation to give generously wasn't just about keeping up with the other churches or claiming the unity that we have in Christ. Paul goes on to explain why we need to give to Christ's church. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm bombarded by groups that are asking me for money. They appeal to lots of different things. Some appeal to my sympathy. One group that reaches out to me over the internet or through the mail has a big campaign going on for an organization that fixes cleft pallets in children in third world countries. Their ads feature heart-wrenching photos of little children with misshapen faces that tug at your heart. Other groups appeal to your sense of responsibility. In the United States, where colleges and universities depend on private giving to survive, those of us who are graduates, even of public universities, receive a telephone call a couple of times a year from a student who asks us to 
give something back to our alma mater that's done so much for us. Others appeal to our sense of duty. When my local library sent out an appeal for an emergency funding, I sent in a donation because I wanted to do my duty to see that everyone in our community had easy access to books and other materials. And some appeal to your ego. When my local community center was having a capital campaign to um, put an addition on its facility, I would have given something anyway, but when they offered to put my name on a brick on the walkway to the entrance, I dug a little bit deeper into my wallet. Now, all of those are legitimate reasons to give, and the world is better for the way they encourage all people to share. But none of those is the reason Paul gave to the Corinthians for why they should contribute to the offering for the church in Jerusalem. And none of them is really the reason why we should give. We give because that's what we were created to do. And if we don't, we're denying ourselves one of the greatest sources of fulfillment there is. Think about it. The book of Genesis in the Old Testament says God created us in God's image. Now that doesn't mean that God looks like you or me. It means that we were created with many of the same characteristics of God. And what is more characteristic of God than giving? At the heart of our faith is the conviction that everything we have is from God. Psalm 24 that Mal just read from says, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. We see that characteristic of God most perfectly in Jesus, who gave his life for us on the cross to take away our sin and everything that keeps us from being the people God created us to be. Through Christ... God opens our hearts and our minds and our spirits to receive what God has for us. Christ gives us new eyes to see everything we have as God's gift to us. The more like Christ we become, the more joy we get from giving because that's what gives him the greatest joy, giving to us. We don't give just out of duty or responsibility or sympathy, but because we were made to give. We find deep joy and satisfaction that God must feel in giving to us. Now, sometimes when we give, we say, well, we're giving back to God. But we're not, really. I mean, God doesn't need anything we have to God. It all comes from God in the first place. Actually, what we do when we give is accept the gift God has given us, the gift of taking part in God's generosity. It's through us that God is able to share the great bounty of this wonderful creation. We're instruments of God's generosity who get to experience the joy of giving. 
There's another objection Paul addressed when he asked the Corinthians to give generously. And that's the question of how much is their fair share. Now, the Corinthians were probably trying to calculate how much they should give as compared to others. You've heard that kind of appeal before. Maybe some organization, a church or a charity is having some kind of a campaign and they say, well, if everybody just gave X amount, then we would reach our goal. And the implication is that everybody is expected to give equally. But the Bible has a different understanding of equality. In the Bible, equality does not mean everybody gives the same amount. Equality means that each gives according to their blessings and receives according to their needs. Paul appeals to that biblical view of equality when he quotes from the book of Exodus and refers to the manna God gave the Hebrews as they wandered in the wilderness. You may remember the story. Every morning when the Hebrews awoke out in the desert, the ground was covered with a white flaky substance they called manna. They were told to collect what they needed for each day and to rest on the Sabbath, the seventh day. Some people, afraid that they would not have enough, collected extra just to be safe. But all the extra manna they collected turned rotten and stank. On the other hand, some people were not able to gather enough for their family, but they found that somehow God made what they had go far enough to feed everyone in their household. That view of equality applies to how God expects us to give. We don't give by watching what others do, but in proportion to what we've received. Now, some people may say, well, that sounds like communism. But it's not. Communism is where everybody owns everything in common And you can't give gifts because what you give already belongs to the person you're giving to. Christianity is where each is given gifts and we freely and in love give them to others. God works through us to see that everyone has enough. Now one reason the Old Testament told the Hebrews to tithe or give 10% of what they earned back to God, was so they could experience that kind of joy and fulfillment of giving generously, not by the amount, but by the proportion. There's nothing magical about the number 10%. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was just a baseline. For some people, that was the right amount. But for those who had more, they needed to give more. It's helpful for all of us to have a benchmark to guide our giving because it's so easy to feel the pressure of other demands on our money that help us put off giving generously. If we do like the Hebrews did and give a baseline of 10% of what we have off the top before we pay our mortgage or our rent, or our taxes, before we buy our groceries, 
that has a way of ordering our priorities. Who has first claim on your life? Now, I've been tithing since I was a teenager, and I've known lots of other people who have tithed and given their personal testimony and never heard one say that because of their generosity, they did not have enough. When giving is our priority, the way it's God's priority, then we see the world through God's generosity, not through human scarcity. Giving generously is a blessing that God gives to us every day. It's what it means to live as people who belong to Christ. He gives to us. And one of the best gifts he gives is a generous heart. May all praise and glory be to him as we live into his image of grace. Amen.